Welcome to the Barrels and Business Podcast. I am your host, Jade Green, and this is the podcast for beach-loving, barrel-chasing business owners. In the next hour or so, I plan to give you as many tangible tips on how you can grow and build your kick-ass team, scale your business, and live the epic life of your dreams. So stay tuned while myself and my guests bring you all of the best. Welcome to this episode of Barrels and Business. As always, I am your host, Jay Green, and it is my job to bring you an hour or so of tangible tips on how you can grow and scale your business, but more importantly, how you can live the lifestyle of a beach-loving business owner. Today, I am absolutely stoked to be joined by Shelly and Brett from Skate Connection. And the reason why I'm so excited is many of you guys have heard me talk about one of my beloved team members. We call him Bear. He's known to others as Isaac. And I sat down with him a few, probably six or seven months ago. And we were going through where he really wanted to go with his life and his career. And we were mapping out where he really would like to go and be a part of a team and why. And as we went through the process, he was kind of like talking about different retail and different places and what he loved. I said, dream big brother. Like we can, we can really go after whoever you want. Like who, where do you really, really want to work and why? And he said, I really, really want to work at Skate Connection. I said, really? Okay. I think that suits you with, with your background and your passion. I can see the personality. I can see the brand alignment. We went through a few little steps. And then he messaged me, I think it was a day or two later and said, guess what? I just applied for a job at Skate Connection. I can't believe that they're hiring. And lo and behold, he's on the team. So you've been uh, near and dear to our team's heart for a while because I bought my nephew's skateboard there. I bought my own skateboard helmet there. We, uh, I'm about to buy another nephew's skateboard. So I've been loving your brand from afar for a while. So... Less about me, more about you. Give us the give us the little intro of who you guys are. Well, uh, thank you for having us. I'm Shelley. Hello, and I'm Brett. Um, and I guess we we started actually as um, uh, business partners many many years ago, um, and we were in a franchise type model where we had retail stores um, across Sydney and also across Brisbane, and we got to a point where we're like, you know, we have so much like um, creativity and we want to take our own direction and we want to start our own brand. At the time I was uh, playing roller derby and doing a little bit of um, yoga and teaching yoga on the side. So, you know, always keeping your balance. And um, I was shopping one day um, for roller skates and there's really a limited um, amount of stores that actually had a good range of roller skates and also didn't have that really expert um, opinions and uh, experience to go along with roller skating. So we're talking 2012. So it was quite a few years ago before this big roller skating trend kind of picked up. And so we're shopping there and we couldn't really find, find that thing. And because we are searching for that opportunity to have our own, um, I guess, creative outlet, 
we thought that would be a good opportunity. Franchising is kind of constrained, right? You kind of have it to is. live in, in the little box with all the rules and things. It oh. is very restricted, yeah. <laughs> so and I, I can I just I when you're when you're talking, Shelly, all I can imagine is you look so sweet and innocent. Like you look so lovely. And then I just have this vision of you like elbowing people as you're going around a derby track and like is does oh she get God. mean, Brett? She does. Did you get the game face on and get like totally mean? <laughs> no, no, she no. is pretty innocent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh know. I don't know. Pretty... With Derby girls, Derby girls need to. They got some. They got some toughness about them. Yeah, yeah, she's it's, very tough. It's the alter <laughs> ego, right? So you put the skates on, and it's it's you and the rink and your teammates, and it's so much fun. So if you ever get what's your Derby name? Everyone's got mine a derby was, name. Mine was Shell's Bells, like Hell's Bells, but uh, Shell's Bells. Love it. Love it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and that was that was a lot of fun. So I actually only played up until um the pandemic hit and then all the practices stopped. So it wasn't too long ago. But it's if you if you ever get the opportunity, you have to try it. So anyway, I so own we, roller derby shorts. Kind of- I've got the pat I've got padded <laughs> derby shorts, but that was for because I used to play gridiron. And so when we were trying to kit out the girls, we're like, what can we do to protect? Because we're not wearing a full men's kit. So we needed something to protect the coccyx and, you know, you're getting slammed. So, yeah, I've got derby shorts. And I nearly got I nearly got convinced to derby, but my football coach said I would immediately be dropped if I didn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> come play. We'd love to have you. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah, and so we... Uh, you know, we thought that would be a great opportunity. There is a few leagues around, um, but we needed that like a little bit more. And we kind of looked around and we're like, well, what are some things we can add into that takes us outside of roller skates? And that's where we thought like a full wheels with your scooters and skateboards and longboards and whatever we could think of that would kind of tap in. At the time we were living in uh, the Gold Coast and on off, often on the weekends, we would take the kids to the Esplanade and there'd be so many families that would sort of be in the surf and having that beach lifestyle, but there's these beautiful big wide paths mm. and like so many families, kids of all ages, tiny, tiny little kids, parents chasing after them, trying to keep up. They finally learned how to ride a scooter. They're gone. Parents <laughs> are running behind them, you know? So the parents yeah. need the wheels as well, as well, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where the concept came from. Yeah. Um, a little bit of brainstorming, adding a few different products and then yeah, developing it from there, basically. Yeah. Well, the wheels on, so my, we, on both my skateboards actually come from Skate Connection. That was, um, okay. that was one of the first, that, uh, Isaac and Charlotte uh, bought me my, my new wheels for my skateboards for my birthday a couple of years ago. So my Carver skateboard has an epic set of blue wheels that match the Barrels and Business brand. And then um, my, my other cruiser has pink wheels to match the pineapples that are on top. Actually, I'm pretty sure my OB5 came from your Ashmore store. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Everyone just buys me presents from you guys. It's like we're, I'm part of the family. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, it was just that that lifestyle that kind of um, sold us to be like, hey, like, why don't we get something that kind of incorporates all of that um, and is extremely inviting. So we don't 
Um, so when you come into our stores, it's really well-rounded of like all types of people. Moms work there, dads work there, um, teenagers. We've got some really great junior helpers that come in from like age 14 and they go all the way up to, you know, however old like we're not the youngest <laughs> so, um, and you know and, and it's really sort of giving that idea that you know skateboarding and having a longboard and electric skateboards isn't just for the kids but it, it's also for the um the parents as well and you yeah. can have a lot of fun with that and sort of learn to do things as a family or have that connection there I was loving what Brett was saying just before we went live about that in terms of like it making it possible for all of the family to get out and connect together and be active and go outside. And yeah, I, I one of my favorite memories of uh, my sister just after she had her first baby is her skateboarding on my skateboard, pushing the pram. Because <laughs> uh, I bought myself the Carver for Christmas. So she was on my OB5 and we were going down, taking all the kids down to the skate park on Christmas day, but she had a baby in a pram. So she's like on the skateboard and pushing the pram with the skateboard. It's like all of us just uh, over there in freedom land in Coolangatta along the, uh, along the pathway. So it's, it really is. I think that um, families need to have that highlighted to them too, though. Like there's so many moms that go, Oh, you know, that's not for me or I can't do that. And they, they are like literally like chasing these poor kids, not poor kids, the poor mums chasing the kids up the footpath and trying to keep up when they don't really know that there is other options available to them, like the electrics or, you know, that a longboard's way easier to ride than, say, a, obviously a trick board. Um, but looking at those different opportunities, how's, how's what's some of the things that you do to talk to your, because you've got really you've got really clear on your avatars and things like that too, right? And, and your marketing campaigns. How do you send out that message to families to, you know, do this together? Yeah, with, um, but when, that, when the customer's in store, it's just the, their presentation or talking to the customer. So if I'm selling a three-wheel scooter to, for like a two or a three-year-old, um, I'll always just mention to the parents, like as they get good and they start taking off, um, you you can't keep up with them running. So it's a good idea to either get like a commuter scooter for yourself or a trick scooter or a longboard. And then that way you're on the wheels and you can keep up with the kids. And a lot of parents um, don't buy straight away, but you'll see them back a month or a couple of months later once the young kid's getting good because they do need that. Uh, form of transport to try and keep up with them because the kids are taking off towards uh, roads and all sorts. So you need some mode of transport to catch up. Yeah, I love it. Uh, what I love about this story for business owners or other retailers it is really thinking through understanding your customer and how you can increase the lifetime value of your customer. So they, they come in just to buy so the kids scooter, but not only are you adding by your values of wanting to have the family connection and getting people active and outside, but the opportunity to really turn that one purchase into a whole firm, like that could be, okay, well, we got little Jimmy's for his birthday and then, you know, Millie will need hers for her birthday then. And then we've got Christmas and then dad needs something new. Like you can really build out the, the product range for that. How do you go about thinking through customer val like customer lifetime value and those sorts of things. 
Um, well, some of them would be looking at your market trends and sometimes it, it has to do with like the unique things that um, we can find within the market and the industry. So a really interesting one was when we first started, um, it was actually really hard for us to get suppliers on board. So we actually originally started with um, a shop and we had to fill the shop with something. And we came across this really interesting contraption and it was called an, an easy roller. And it was kind of this go-kart thing that you sit on really close to the ground and you take your feet and you swiveled your feet back and forth and you created momentum <gasps> that way. And I've seen these crazy things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and when we first opened, like they were our bread and butter because we didn't have like the full range that we do now. And so we use that um, as kind of our marketing tool could, to communicate that like with, you know, like having small kids and that family kind of lifestyle to come in to invite them into the store. And because we only had the one location, another way that we tapped into finding like where the people are, the families and all that sort of thing was um, uh, doing kiosks in the shopping centers and oh. also doing um, like different types of events and markets. So in our first year, we were, you could actually find us in the Carrara markets or the surfers markets and, and having that kind of thing. So we sort of um, had like that as an idea for a product range and then it kind of filled up from there. So for a period of time, that was a very popular thing. And we also had scooters. We could also see that um, watching the things in the community, there was a lot more interest going into the electric skateboards. And eventually now, so fast forwarding a few years, we can see this huge uptake with roller skates. And you start to see a lot of like the retro roller skates and that. I want a pair, desperately want a pair. Yeah. I like, I love my skateboards and my conundrum is I'm trying not to be a, like too consumeristic. So I'm like, I'm trying to be minimalist. Don't buy all the things just because I can buy all the things. And so I've been fighting this urge to buy roller skates because I'm like, well, when will I use my roller skates over using my Carver or my OB5? Like, when, when's the opportunity that I'll do it? What's going to motivate me to do it? When will I use them over riding my bike? Because sometimes I ride my bike and then with my skateboard on board in my surfboard rack and then skateboard. I was like, so I'm just, I'm still trying to justify the roller skates besides the fact that they look super cool and I really want them. <laughs> <laughs> is that just a reason enough? Yes. It, is. it certainly <laughs> is a good reason. <laughs> okay. I'll ask for them for Santa. Can I have them for Christmas? <laughs> um, I'm going to segue then, Shelly, again, before we started recording, you said in preparation for this podcast, you asked your friends, what would they like to hear? And what, what would make a good value episode for them? And you said a lot of them were, you know, they might have a hobby business or a side hustle or they're trying to like quit their full-time job and make it their main thing. And they wanted to know about your startup journey. And you said, oh, that's easy. <laughs> so can we, can we touch, like talk, give me, give me one of your friends' names. Who are we talking to? Sure. So um, I have some really good friends. So one's actually in Canada. Um, one is her name is Belle and she has a she's forever making clothes and these unique little things 
jewelry, clothes, little handbags, scarves, sells it herself, like just through little markets online, or she has little kiosks as well that she has like around um, Winnipeg. So that's where I'm originally from, Winnipeg, small little town. And, um, you know, she, she always asked like, so specifically asked her like, hey, this, this would probably, this podcast would probably be perfect for you to listen to. It's all the way over here in Australia. So you have to listen to it over there. Um, <laughs> and what kind of what kinds of things do you want to hear about? And she's like, how do you start? And all I could think of is really to find that niche market um, and communicate to them. So I think that's that's really important. So it's like, how can you find that niche market? And that's what we did. So you don't want to go really small to where you're kind of pigeonholing yourself, where it's not it's only going to be a select area and it has to do with your location as well. So ours is very location based. Um, so those are the, the types of things that you need to think of and what can you um, add value to what you're doing to where it might tap into like a broader community. So you target into that community and then you can go a little bit broader with that as well. Mm -hmm. So you might think of, um, you know, like, who are you marketing to and what's their, what is their ideal? Um, like, what does that customer look like? Is it a, a specific age group? Is it, um, what gender would they identify with? Um, where do they live? What are their hobbies? What are their interests? Um, what are their beliefs and what are their values? And really understanding how that community works how they live and and sort of like find a way to communicate and to tap in and connect with them on that level um, and then you sort of start to find um, you know where there's a lack of services or how you can improve so you don't need to fully reinvent the wheel you're just improving on onto like that smaller area um, and uh, and then you can improve or do they have a problem that you can specifically solve. So you're trying to solve that problem as well. And once mm -hmm. you have that, then I think you're then starting to create momentum from there. Beautiful. Yeah. Right, have you got anything to add on that? Yeah, the, yeah with the niche, like Shelly was saying, it is, it's just picking your market and progressing with that. You, you can't go too big because you don't want to be generic where you sort of blend in with other mm. companies or trying to compete against the big guys it's you you target specific products um and then push forward with them and you need to adjust so as business goes along if you're finding that something's not successful or not working you might have to uh just adjust your alignment to to move forward in it if, if you need to mm -hmm. um and i yeah, suppose one Thing that I would add to that is once you kind of find that niche and there are similar like if you're doing um, clothing for example there's so much clothing brands out there or there's so many um, dress stores and and what makes you different how can you differentiate yourself to your competition what can be the added service and what what are those tiny little things that will make you different that, that makes people want to come to you than to go to other people. Yeah, beautiful. What's some of the things that you've done when thinking through that process? Whew, a few, actually. <laughs> yeah, where the um, the start, start point, it's the, the product mix. Like we mm -hmm. decided to go with 
a product mix to suit uh, all families rather than target like pros. So mm. like a normal skateboard shop would just target pro, pro skateboarders or higher level skateboarders where they have decks, uh, trucks, wheels, and you basically have to go in and assemble everything yourself and it ends up costing a lot more. Or mm. the same thing with your pro scooter riders. If you target pros, it's all the individual parts and it ends up being a very high cost. So we uh, went through and targeted the families and we've still got the pro stuff. So people can come in and get all their top end stuff, but we've got all the entry level stuff where. That's for a, the teenage push- boy that thinks he's going to, now that he's seen it in the Olympics, going to go <laughs> yeah. skateboarding. So we, it's, it's a succession plan. You can get them with their razor scooter when they're yeah. a mini human and then just grow with them until they're ready to go pro. It's, yeah, it's a, that's exactly It's a great it. lifetime value of the customer. <laughs> yeah, and they start off young, like you said, about that one and a half to two years old when they can start riding stuff. And like one of our older customers, um, we had a grandma at the age in her mid-80s who brought a commuter or a dirt scooter so that she could keep up with the grandkids. So oh it is God, catering it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess also what, what does make us like that little bit different is we have those fun quirky items that you normally wouldn't see in a skate shop as as well so kind of like that go-kart easy roller thing in the beginning um people we have these really fun socks like crazy socks and people come in to us for like crazy sock day or they can have them for like roller derby and it's like these fun and we'll put them in and it just looks a little odd like you kind of walk by and you're like giant fluorescent pink wall in a skate shop this is very strange <laughs> um <laughs> and and it it does make people stop where they go oh like what is what is that I'm really interested in that thing and it, it makes them comfortable it kind of adds like that shock value I guess that you're yeah. trying to be like oh like that's really different come in and um oh actually interrupt here there's yeah it interrupts that thought pattern where it is that thing that's a little bit different um and that's again like i guess tapering from uh you know back in the day when we were doing markets as well it wasn't like the usual thing that you would see at a, a market you need yeah, that little love it. to create impact yeah talk to me like or, or talk to the listeners about wh- why like if they if they're looking to you know, break free of uh, the nine to five or whatever, they're deciding that they want to do their own business. What What's the benefits and pitfalls of going with franchise versus your own brand? Obviously, creativity is one, but just walk through, like if someone's sitting there going, you know, maybe I could just buy a franchise, that'll be easier. Or what's what do you see as the pros and cons on, on those fronts? The, the franchise system is definitely a lot easier because the the franchise or organizes a lot of the process or basically all the processes um, advertising the way you do things. So it's definitely a much easier business to start. Whereas, yeah, when you're when you're going into your own, you're all of a sudden the marketing person, the purchasing person. <laughs> the sales person, you're a master of all trades and you have to learn a lot of things pretty quickly, basically. Mm. Um, with, the, with the franchise, yeah, you definitely have more restrictions of what your product range is. So you mm. don't have that creativity to be like, to pivot quickly and be like, actually, 
this is um, starting to be up and coming. Let's get that in because that'll tie in with us like really extremely well. Um, so that's, I think that's the stuff that we find when probably more on Brett's side that he finds pretty exciting to find those new um, things that come in. And I guess from my point of view, I, I tend to go a little bit more into the, the marketing side, which is something that that's what you pay for in a franchise. So if you are going to go with a franchise, just make sure that they have a really good marketing program. They're marketing your brand extremely well. Um, and that's a lot of like where your franchise fees go to. Um, and I guess when you're having to do it yourself, you have to learn that creative way of learning to speak to the customer and um, like trial and error, different things as well. And then you're not restricted to uh, where you can put your brand in the market, which is interesting. So if you wanted to be on eBay, if you wanted to be on um click frenzy if you know for those different online opportunities if you wanted to do market stalls um those decisions are up to you as an owner as well yeah how do you think uh how do you think you would have gone if you went straight into having your own brand without doing franchising beforehand wow okay <laughs> um so like brett was saying it it's it is trying to learn to be jack of all trades. So um, I guess we were lucky in the beginning where we just focused a little bit more on the bricks and mortar. And then as time went on with the change of technology, online is so important. And neither Brett or I have like a huge um, uh, web development background. So that was something that we had to learn. Um, but I think the biggest part is if you are going to make the jump of not having that experience, you just have to be okay with not starting perfect. And just mm -hmm. even if you can get 80 to 90% done, you can still work on those. Like, you know what needs to be done. You can just go through and start and then fine tune and learn into those areas that you know you need to grow into. So if you need to take like any, like I've taken a lot of courses I've done some, but yeah, not not as many. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when it when it does come to um, the jump, though, like definitely that going through the franchise system first gave you the background, and you learned a lot of processes. So it did make it a lot easier to start our own brand because you're already familiar with a lot of the processes. Where I yeah. think if you were just trying to start fresh without any sort of experience, it would definitely be a lot more difficult. Like the mm -hmm. franchising system taught us that you can be in major shopping centers, even though the rent looks absolutely insane and you go, there's no way we can afford that rent. Being in the franchise, we are in a main shopping center. Uh, you learn that as long as you've got the, the correct product, good, good staff members for sales and mm -hmm. um, yeah, attracting enough of the market, you can yeah, make a shop quite successful in a shopping center even though the rents are extremely high. Yeah, beautiful. It's kind of like doing a, an apprenticeship in retail, right? <laughs> Jump, oh, jumping yeah. through the franchise uh, model, like getting to, to learn that back end. Um, did you take many things? Like when I think franchise, I think of the book called Emith. Have either of you heard of Emith? No. No. Um, so Emith was written many, many moons ago. <laughs> uh, it was a, actually the first business book that I read 
yeah, I think I read it first and then the one minute manager. Uh, and it was a long time ago. They've got to revisit now um, the E-Myth Remastered, but it's all about the understanding of um, or the concept of McDonaldizing any business that you start. And so franchising, right? Being able to give a handbook to anyone and like be able to pick up any store member, any staff member from any location, drop them into one of your other places and they can do everything the exact same way that they do it. So you've got the quality control and that you're being able to automate in terms of, you you know, and replicate. So you don't have to be teaching the same thing over or expecting that, you know, you've got one manager teaching one thing one way because that with their personality type, which is completely different. You can't understand why the stores can't replicate the sales process or the customer happiness. And it's because you haven't applied the franchising sort of model did you take like is there anything that you like with saying that is there anything that you feel like you learned from franchising that you've now applied to having because how many stores you got now is it five uh we've opened two just um in the last few months like during that sort of last covid period so we've opened one at chermside and one at tugra down on the central coast to give us seven at the moment wow awesome so yeah is there any of the things that like from that you take from like a franchising model that you apply now that you're a multi-site or not not that you now are but that you've got so many multi-sites well you definitely like the policies and procedures like every franchise like you said does have policies and procedures and because you're used to them and seeing them through the franchise system uh, we obviously had to develop our own but you've got an idea um, of how to what you need to put in it basically because you've seen those processes previously um, and that's definitely the advantage of from where we started with the franchise system it gave us that sort of a head start or a bit of a jump into this business basically yeah this is something that I say to all businesses when they're starting like do it do it when you're only one site like do it as if you're going to have your multi-location multi-office or distributed workforce and if you do it when you're first starting, it's so much easier to do it that first time around because even like what you said a minute ago, Shelley, done is better than perfect because even if you know you're not going to have the, the the Bible version that you, you want to keep forever, at least if you've got 80% done as you're going through the process, it's just going to save so much time and headache in the, in the back end, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think if we waited for everything to be perfect we never would have started that's the thing and uh you know we we signed up well this is um your your story but signing up yeah what what shelly was saying partially before you we basically signed a lease uh for our first shop was which was in ashmore prior to us actually having any suppliers on board um so that obviously creates a bit of pressure and i think most people do actually work better when there is pressure because you have to perform basically. So all of a sudden we were going into a shop with a lease where we knew we had to get things sorted very quickly because we're due to open like in a month's time and hadn't started a supply process yet. So yeah, there's, um, yeah, you throw yourself in the deep end and you, you basically make it work. <laughs> What's the lesson and the blessing in that? So from what I can hear there is maybe, and tell me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but coming from a franchise background, you may have been used to having suppliers, not not really knowing that they may say no to you or you may not get everyone you want. You've got to, like, they get to be picky and choose who they sell to. Like, this is crazy. Why doesn't everyone want to sell to everybody, right? What, oh, yeah. And talk, just talk through, is that, was that one of the things of just wasn't sure or just took the leap and 
we how did that lead, yeah we took the leap and presumed that everything would be good because um yeah in in our past experience with the franchise system you'd have competitors everywhere you'd have um six or seven competitors in the in the shopping center and then you're going into the skate industry we found and scooter industry um that they sort of block areas and you, you haven't got as um they they give each store a bit of separation because they don't want too many shops too close to each other basically so yeah there were a few suppliers mm. that literally took us six months to a year or so to actually get on board and like it is quite funny like looking back now at what our shops look like currently or even a year ago versus when we first opened um it's just changed dramatically and yeah like it's just that that development of the business over time obviously you're always improving so our product range at the moment is amazing and it's huge whereas you look back um, eight years ago and it was quite it's quite funny in terms of the lack of range <laughs> <laughs> was it was there something on there that you really wanted and and couldn't get yeah one of the major skate suppliers that supplies one of your top end wheels and a lot of the top end trucks and bearings and other things um, we didn't get on board for about the first seven months but uh our background, we knew that we could develop what we had. So we actually opened a second shop three months or so after our first and then went into a shopping center within six months. So we basically had three shops open within a six-month period, which wow. obviously then suppliers see that you are serious. So then uh, we obviously got all the suppliers that we needed basically because they, they knew you that you're serious and that you're there to actually um, promote their product basically. Wow, that's that is a, that's some pretty serious growth right there, and probably takes a big set of balls to to, to go out and do that too, right? Um, and a bit of stress. Just a bit of stress, <laughs> yeah. Um, what like if, is there any lessons or anything that you can share with the audience that you're willing to share about how like how the hell did you do that? Because that seems like it's a lot of capital. It's a lot of at risk to like to go, especially to going into shopping centers and things like that. What did you need to do to be able to do that? It, it, it is a lot of risk. And um, we just had the confidence that would make it work. Um, and you basically do what you need to to make it work. And like we did open a lot of shops quickly. And that, that probably um, was actually it made business difficult because obviously you're spreading yourself too thin and you, you got a lot more running around to do. So that was a learning curve. But I think if you... Uh, really really want to make the business succeed as long as you put uh, good effort in it will succeed and so was it in the business plan to open that many stores that quickly or did you go we need to we know how to win these suppliers we're gonna <laughs> go and do this instead what was what was the actual when you sat down and went hey let's do this what was the plan well we got um the first shop at ashmore and then we found a, another location at Helensvale. Uh, that shop no longer exists, so it was just part of the progress. Um, and then in the process of actually signing the leasing, uh, getting the Helensvale ready, then we had the shopping centre actually approach us. So they liked um, what they saw in our shop at Ashmore, and we'd done a few um, pop-ups. Like we did a pop-up uh, at the um, Rabina Town Centre, uh, yep. we opened our first shop in October and then went straight into doing a pop-up at Rabina Town Centre. So a lot of the um, other shopping centres see 
you in those sorts of spots too. Mm -hmm. So we got approached very quickly to go into a shopping center in which um, we got a pretty good deal there too. So we went into that one at Garden City. Um, yeah, and that was, yeah, we had the three shops open. Uh, I think Garden City opened about eight months or so after we actually opened the first shop. So it was all, yeah, pretty quick progression for those first few shops. The shop was for Garden City was signed within six months, but we opened it, I think, eight months after we opened the first. Wow. So I think with, um, you know, having that like big growth, um, like we're saying, it's probably not necessary. I, I think at the time, because uh, going rewinding eight years ago, it was still this balance between having that bricks and mortar store. And because we had that, um, you know, we were in a franchise where there was like multiple stores across the, across Australia, we're just used to that idea of being like, yeah, you have like 60 stores and that's just how you do. <laughs> that's just what you do. Yeah. That's just what you do. And I think that's kind of like an, it, it actually is an old mentality, like going bigger is better and having these things because there really has been a, a shift to having like um, really successful, good, solid, like smaller, more manageable, have your storefront online. So you would actually now get an actual bricks and mortar store and then an online store. And that that's a good, a good size. And that's a good space to be in as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just a little bit of that kind of mentality then. Um, and we did get like, honestly, we did get to a point where it was too many stores because we got up to many and um we had to pivot and sort of relook at what we we're doing because then yeah it did spread us too thin and we didn't have those because we're very like hands-on in our business as well where uh you know we like to be there we actually like to personally know everyone extremely well and have like really good lines of communication and um where we can and um so I guess for us, we did actually pivot and change that modeling a lot mm -hmm. as time went on. And a big part of that is the change in technology and what you're able to do without having this physical presence in like a hundred different shopping centers, you know? Yeah. So um, that's where we had to learn to like pivot and change quickly, I think. Yeah. Did the pivot come before COVID? It did, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. So... Can you talk to me, like, pre-COVID, what would have been your revenue split, like, retail versus online? Did online ever start to outperform having, like, the collective bricks and mortar, or how, how does that look pre-COVID? Yeah, online, um, like, our website was one of our weakest performing shops if you made it as a, a shop as such. Mm -hmm. Um and like we did actually get up to 10 shops at one stage mm -hmm. and yeah, the online shop would have been performing along with our weakest shop. Whereas like during that COVID, um, we placed a lot more emphasis on the website and like leading into COVID, we'd actually closed a number of shop doors down that weren't successful and creating headaches. So we were um, downsizing, which we got it down to five shops and we focused on all our, all our successful shops so that you could um, put more energy into um, the successes, basically. So yeah, yeah. We, we shut I down. Love, I just love that idea. So many people hang on to things out of ego as well, or just like stubbornness, like keep flogging the dead horse. 
and focus their energies on their weaknesses and like divert their energy to try and get an underperforming store or location, product range performing when, and I, I love the, even for playing to human strengths, like focus on the strengths rather than the weaknesses, turn up the dial on what does work and kind of not cut your losses, but, but look at, look at where you can really double down on what is good because that will create the flow and it will actually have the knock-on effect, but more importantly, it makes work more fun, right? Like, yeah. (laughs) so yeah, sorry. Talk, talk to us a little bit more about making that decision and the, the lessons through that. Yeah. So we we basically pivoted, we changed, um, we'd focused down to the shop set, uh, were further apart because we had too many shops at one stage too close together as well. Yep. So you're sort of oversaturating the market. Um, so yeah, we basically focused on our best performing shops. As leases ran out, we let shops close. And then um, I think our last one we got out of was at Harbour Town uh, in February and then COVID hit basically into that month. So it was wow. sort of rolled into kind almost perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we put the focus on the website. And then since, yeah, the website has grown at a crazy amount and it's now one of our best performing shops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, Shelly. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, like, I think COVID for everyone was a real um, uh, interesting time. You know, like in, I think we were a little bit lucky we were at the time for Queensland, like everything was closed, but like we we did have that that impact but it wasn't months and months and months on end of you know having closed doors um but i think it also gave us a lot of you know where everything is like shut down and everything is at a halt it really gives you a lot of space and time to really reassess everything as well and i think that's um i think that has actually been a lot of a lot of feedback that I've heard from people are a lot of, you know, like where they weren't personally affected by, by COVID. Um, they're like, you know, we had to like stop. We had to um, reassess what we're doing with work because people weren't able to go to work. They weren't able to uh, run their businesses like they usually would. Um, and I think it actually created a lot of um, life balance as well. So like that work and life balance, um, which you know, and I think that that worked for us as well. And that's where the idea of like, you know, we can have like things going a little bit more um, efficient, like for the online. And we worked in with people, the ones who were able to work with us, we just taught them how to like load products online, um, you know, help us with like, hey, what do you guys want to do? Like, I know you're at home and this is a really strange time. Um, If you want to come with us and do some work like that would be great and people were making like youtube videos and just like these interesting content so they're they're actually having a lot of fun at work too which was great um and i think it kind of like did help them like i guess in their their headspace as well where you're Mm. like oh this is really you know so it did help like some people just to keep connected keep involved doing these really fun things um like where there was the interactions with customer either um uh, online and um, one of our stores did was able to stay open at the time because it was deemed as essential outdoor activity and sport. Um, the ones that came in were like, hey, like I have extra time now to learn and pick up these different skills. So, and they would come in and, and have a chat. So that was interesting, but yeah, COVID very interesting time. And I think a lot of people really reassessed what their work and life balance was because it just everything just came to like that big halt and 
where it affected people individually. I think businesses have now sort of had that bit of a change. I think that change will have that ripple on effect for a few years. So it's interesting. And it created yeah. the um, trend for roller skating as well. Yes. <laughs> Every, everyone was in lockdown and it's an individual sport. So I think um, a lot of the parents were like, well, I used to do that 20 or 30 years ago. So they have got skates and then their kids have got skates and then they've become the trendy thing. So all the teenage girls have got skates and then all of a sudden uh, you've got that big resurgence in, in roller skating. So I think that was definitely a, a product of um, the COVID lockdowns, basically. Yeah, we've got a girl. We've got a girl that works on um, one of the teams that I run, and she used to roller derby before having kids. And we were talking about, you know, what's what what's the stuff that makes you the most you like, and what can you do to reconnect to yourself, and like going through this coaching stuff. And she's like roller skates. And so she that weekend she went and got ro- got her roller skates out again, and she took her her little ones with her, and she was just like, oh my god, I feel like me again, like I'm back on the skates. <laughs> And Jade, I was interested how, like, how did you go through COVID, like with your business and your ideas and things like that? Yeah. So it's, my whole business had to change completely because I was a global speaker and I used to spend, mm, I was out of the country more than I was in the country for the four years prior. So I was paid to go to Bali. I used to run a business accelerator in Bali, right near the World Surf League spot at Karamas. I, the weekend that they started shutting everything, I was due to, I didn't have a home. I was staying in my friend's Airbnb and it was Friday and my sister's calling going, um, do you know they're talking about shutting Bali's airport? And I'm like, well, that's not very convenient because I'm flying to KL on Sunday and I'm going to be in KL teaching Mind Valley's team stuff and then I've got to go from KL to Bali for four weeks and she's like yeah I think they're going to shut Bali's airport like what if you get stuck in KL and I'm like oh that's a that's not an okay thought and then she's like but also Australia's saying that when you come back you're going to have to quarantine but you don't have a home to quarantine in and like you won't you won't be able to come to my house because I got little kids and dad's old and Cassie who's my friend whose house I was staying in she's got kids and she's got older parents and it's like She's like, where are you going to go? Your van's not built yet. Like I bought my van, but it hadn't been fit out. So I was building a camper van and I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be a problem. And so all of my work, I was booked. This was in the end of February. I was booked all the way through till the end of September to be traveling. So I was going to Bali. I was coming back for a couple of weeks doing live events here in Australia. Then I was getting sent to, I was being sent to Costa Rica to run a business accelerator there. So I was going to cheeky swing by Cuba for a week holiday beforehand. And then I was going straight from Costa Rica to Europe to speak with Mind Valley and do seminars there. Then I was coming back through Bali, running another business accelerator, doing some Mind Valley events in other states in Australia. And then I was going to be a grown up and get a home. <laughs> uh, uh, so I didn't, I didn't have a website. I didn't have a coaching program. I didn't have any of these things because because I was always on different time zones. I used to sell coaching programs in lots of how long will I be on this time zone? So you could have seven weeks because I'm going to be on that time zone and you can have five weeks because I'm going to be on that time zone. And I'd custom make everything or I'd do like three-day deep dive workshops and like we'd put up maybe a landing page or I'd partner with someone to sell it. So everything 
everything had to change. And I deliberately didn't adult and have any commitments because I wanted to be able to just, someone wants to fly me to Costa Rica, I'm like, sure. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, fuck. I don't have a mail list. I don't have a landing page. I haven't, I, I wrote my program four years before of what I was going to do. So I had a 52 week program ready that I could unbox, but nothing to do with it. And I'd squirreled off teaching, like doing mind valley. So doing mindset and meditation and life coachy sort of stuff. I've been teaching somebody else's business accelerator. I taught on LinkedIn, like how to grow your LinkedIn profiles and personal brands. And every now and then I did my team stuff, but I kind of, the market didn't know what the hell I did. Cause sometimes I'm a brand ambassador for the resorts that I'm working at. Sometimes I'm the LinkedIn girl, then I'm the mind Valley girl. It's like, the brand was a disaster. I teach personal branding. My brand was a disaster. I was like, the everything girl. Um, so <laughs> I was like, ah, this is going to be a problem. And I got the, started going, okay, I don't want to, I, I don't want to get caught in KL and I don't want to get stuck in Bali. Like, what am I going to do? So I start ringing other coaches and I'm like, I knew there was another guy in Bali. I'm like, can you take my two weeks at the business accelerator? That's the biggest deal. Right. And I've got, they're supposed to be having people fly in. He's like, yeah, yeah, I could, I can, I can make that work for you. I'm like, sweet, okay. Who can replace me at uh, Bali Spirit at Bali Spirit Fest because I need someone to speak for me there, to because that's part of the process of going to Freedom X Fest, which is the next one. So now I'm like, how do I get someone to do my five days at Freedom X Fest? They can also speak at Bali Spirit Fest. Uh, and I'm freaking out, and then I get the calls going. Okay, Bali Spirit Fest has cancelled. They've decided to can it, and then everyone else just went, we cancel too. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Now I need a home and I managed to manifest the most amazing home right on the beach. Um, so that was really cool. But then I had to go in and go, what do I want to do? And I knew where I wanted to go, but I've had this massive guilt that I didn't have it as bad as most of my friends in the world right then. Um, like I had friends that were stuck in India and like in all different random locations all over the world, like they, they actually couldn't get out and, uh, people like just losing all of their money or not having a, a safe place and obviously not living somewhere like this. And I had a lot of guilt around, um, it's almost like survivor's guilt, right? The same that you hear about that. And so I just went, I was just, I just get into service. So I just started doing coaching calls every day for free. So I just said nine o'clock every day, Monday to Friday, I'll show up and just help any business that's in the shit and needs help, even if it's just a mindset. And then that turned into doing some programs and helping certain clients and then getting the wheels in motion. Um, and that kind of just perpetuated from there, which allowed me to, to build it. So for me, I think it was such a blessing because it kind of made me fast forward my timeline. I'd probably just be gallivanting still around the world, not really adulting, um, which there's nothing wrong with that either, but I've managed to, to make deeper connections with my family. I've got some clients that I've been working with now since the very beginning of COVID and like they're like my best friends. And I really got to test out the different areas of my skills and then decide, actually not decide, get reconnected to what I really love because I've said for probably the last 14 years that I want to be the world's largest enabler of humans that are happy at work. Yeah. And I kind of got off track with it. And then I think I kind of got imposter syndrome. Like who the fuck are you to be the world's largest? And yeah, it kind of got disconnected, but through this process, it's, it's really 
allowed me to reconnect and to, to double down and to start building the connections and really sort out what is important to me and, and how I can make a difference. So I feel pretty, and I get to live here. So even though I'm not allowed over there and those shops over there won't let me in, I, I still feel pretty blessed. <laughs> that, that's my long answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, it makes you reassess and like improve yeah. and just self-reflect and, you know, and that, that seems to be what everyone, everyone has, has had the chance to be able to do, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that is it. It's, it's you, you try, you've got to try and make a positive out of the negative. So yeah, all, everything's shut down, but then it is just, you got to run with it and adjust and then move forward. Um, it's, it's the only way that you can basically run a successful business is that you need to be able to adjust and move forward um, when things happen. And yeah, you can't always predict what's going to happen. So it's always yeah, seeing trying to project and trying to move forward basically yeah I think that the majority of people that I've dealt with they like they had struggles like some people lost millions and millions of dollars but the the people that you know are always going to be successful have put the lens of it of oh what can I learn from this or what was the blessing or oh I got to spend more time with my kids like one of my clients is like oh I was like how are you doing with homeschool he's like oh I'm gonna be sad when they go back to school and he jinxed himself because now he's got a kid that was close contact. So he's got him in quarantine again. <laughs> I'm like, you wanted more homeschool, buddy. Um, but it's it's really about the lens that you put over it, right? Where where can you find, like, and if you look, if you look deep enough, you will find a blessing in something, but more you can learn a lesson, right? So I would say the majority of businesses I deal with, a lot of them had a shit online presence. They didn't, or they they kind of like were getting lucky with their with their online and not by design, kind of just by accident. Um, actually, another client I work with, it's multi-site in Brisbane. They had an online store and, you know, it did its kind of thing. Now it's doubled and it's going to, it's just going crazy because they were forced to actually go, oh, what doesn't work with our website? What What's the customer experience actually like? Oh, wait, we can make this so profitable and now, it will become their highest performing store. Similar story to you, right? Rather than their low, it, it was its lowest performing store. Now it's going to be the highest performing store. Yeah. And the margins, obviously. So not only in gross sales, but in margins because you're not paying monster retail <laughs> prices either, right? Yeah. What do you What do you think if you had to give three lessons that you learned from COVID? They don't have to just be business related. What what would you gift other listeners with your lessons and your blessings? Um, I think one of them is definitely that work-life balance. Like we probably did um, put too many hours into work and mm -hmm. like COVID did force you to, to stop. And like in some ways it was great because you go, we're not getting 30 or 40 phone calls a day. Um, from all the different shops asking the questions <laughs> you're actually getting nice quiet time with the family and you can actually spend some good quality time with the kids basically so that that way how old are your mini humans them. you've got three of them right <laughs> yeah we've got um a six-year-old a 10-year-old and a 17-year-old wow <laughs> yeah nice handful yeah yes yeah. um so with that how did you what did you do family wise? I'm always interested. What did you do family wise to connect? Like, because, you know, if you've been busy being like working on the business and the kids are kind of 
been doing their own thing. It's an interesting situation to get them to to reconnect and get them off the iPads or devices. And <laughs> yeah. we we usually have like an au pair or a nanny through um, like the Christmas period because for retail trade, Christmas mm-hmm. is always um, your big trade. So we had been used to always having an au pair, and then all of a sudden COVID struck. So. Um, OPs can't get into the that country. Gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's but basically, so it was it was spending more time with the kids in terms of just activities. Um, yeah, so it wasn't so much iPads. It was uh, getting out, doing a bit of physical activity. We got a half pipe in the backyard, so playing on the half pipe, <laughs> going for yeah <laughs> you're going for um scooter or skate rides um along the waterfront stuff like that so getting out doing a bit of physical activity out into the ocean for swimming and um then just activities like puzzles uh, the kids did a few jigsaw puzzles over that time our little six-year-olds uh memorizes like little hundred or 300 piece ones where oh. he'd start putting them together really, really quickly because he got too much practice at them obviously <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome we attempted the homeschooling, but when you do each kid and they want you to sit down, wow, that is tough. And then having to do your own business, mm-hmm. that is an eye opener. I love the teachers. I love them being at school. Um, <laughs> no, but when you have to be parent, teacher, business owner, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats. And yeah. you really have to, cause it's really hard to be like, oh, I got to take this call and I'm trying to do the homework. Like it's really, it's really unfair to split your time like that. And yeah. I think if you are, um, uh, you know, I've tried to make a rule that when I have the kids in front of me, the kids are at front of me and the phone kind of goes on to the side. If they're doing, you know, if they want my attention, you're reading a book. Cause you don't get those, you really don't get those moments back, you know, like where it's like, yeah. I just want you to read a book. And I'm like, they're not going to be 19 years old being like I want you to read this Mom, book, read me a book. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't mind I'm like I'll be that person I'll be like yeah yeah like let's read this you know whatever it is and um so you know when you have to kind of wear those all those hats all at the same time it's really impossible so it's good to like try to um uh you know segment your time and put in a schedule so that you do have mm-hmm. that one-on-one time that goes with the kids and that time where you can spend on to the business and kind of it's yeah it's really hard when you're like answering the phone and trying to play in a pool you know like it's <laughs> like that's <laughs> and yeah. you know we do it but you know it's just that you know I like to have that individual time and I think when it came to homeschooling like they're they're trying to have fun and play and you're trying to teach them something and like so so I think that dynamic was really hard so we had to be like okay right like here's the period of time and honestly we we didn't finish all of the homeschooling but I think that you know you tried your best we did most of it you'll pick it up again later and like let's also have family time and fun as well and then I have to go to the side and do work so it was just like wow that was a challenge um so I guess personally that's what I've I kind of came out with that um, any other things that you learned from that or no, the, um, yeah, the, another one would just to focus on what, what you're good at, like, um, COVID, yeah, COVID struck and you, you need to go to do different points, focus at, at your strengths and make your strengths work. Basically, um, you obviously have weaknesses and it's good to improve on areas, but like you really focus on your strengths. Yeah. 
Beautiful. That one's uh, that that one's near and dear to my heart. But just with uh, the flow coaching that I do, and specifically working with teams and and hiring for strengths and working on strengths rather than trying to coach on weaknesses, like as you, I don't know if you've, uh, I'm dyslexic, so like trying trying to get me to spell better and just beating that into me is just just going to frustrate the shit out of everyone and just better off to find another way. Like, that's just find new solutions and and really look at the genius zones because when you can focus on those genius zones and turn that dial up that's when things go through the roof like for you guys I think like being looking at that you know who is our market and doubling down on the family side of things rather than like being tempted to go off onto pro and focusing on that is what really you know helps you to to stay in your lane and to to build that reputation as well. Yeah, and I think, I think for us too, like we got different different personalities, different strengths. So we work actually really well together um, as business partners because you you've got different focuses and you, you've got all the time that you can run things past each other. But because we're not the same, uh, we definitely have very different strengths, and you work on those together basically. Yeah. So, so in terms of the, the dynamic with you two, what sort of personality traits have we got? Who does what? How do you, how do you figure out who's going to do what within the business and, and make decisions? Anything number-wise. And not Shelley's kill each like, other. Yeah. Anything number-wise, Shelly's like, it's, it's yours. Like, <laughs> go away. I'm not interested know. in numbers. <laughs> I don't want to know bank accounts. I don't want to know the numbers. I don't know. I just love the creativity you know yeah so yeah so like my my, I I focus sort of more so on um the purchasing um like stock purchases and more so the physical um involvement in the shop whereas Mm -hmm. Shelly's uh puts more focus on like all the marketing and um the procedures the human resources and like all that sort of other background stuff basically yeah so more of the um uh I guess like more of like the strategies of what we can do and like a little bit making sure that we're keeping on to like direction because it's easy to go all over. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, What tips do you have for other partners in business? So I know, I know you guys started in business and then became partners, but how do you keep the, the marriage in harmony even when you're in business? Do you have certain rules about when you're like, no, no business talking to bed or? <laughs> um, I think because we're focused on different things, it actually makes it easier. I think if we were both trying to do exactly the same thing, you definitely would um, have a lot more disagreements and, and um, probably clashes. So we're focused on separate things, which definitely makes it easier. But in saying that, your separate things need to be divided at the home as well. So... It means one person has to do the cooking, the other person has to do the dishes, and you keep it 50-50. If you're 50-50 as um, business partners, then you're 50-50 in the house, like helping with the kids and doing household chores. Because, you know, why not? You know, like that if you're going to be like um, partners in business, it's also important to have that same balance at home as well yeah so she does um throw me all the dishes and the laundry and things like that but yeah we do run things <laughs> i was gonna say i'm the dish I, i'm the dishes person i am not the cooking person i am a, i can clean like i can ocd the hell out of a kitchen 
And I think the other one is um, uh, like you can't hold grudges or you can't hold an argument because um, you just have to be able to drop it and move on or, you know, like that, mm. that kind of thing. So if there is like a little bit of a, um, uh, a disagreement, it's just agreed that you don't bring that into the other world. Yeah, you, you don't is, take you, it back into your yeah. personal life. You, <laughs> you move on, you get over it. Otherwise, you're just going to be angry at each other all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and that's not good for anybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, awesome. And I think that's it. And then just just agree to have like where you know you're not you have that time that you can just spend as a family or as a couple, and the work is separate and kind of keep that separated as well. Yeah, beautiful. I do get pulled in line a few times when I start talking work outside of that time and, yeah, <laughs> get told to, to cut it until the next day, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that lives in this meeting, not here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautiful. So before we wrap up, though, because, as you heard, my, my mission is to be the world's largest enabler of humans that are happy at work. And yeah. I hear firsthand that you've got some very happy humans in your team. So can you just talk? Talk through, like, what's your advice to other business owners on, like, how you build a, a great team? You can't you can't open stores, you can't run stores, and you can't scale your business without the people. And you guys know, you mentioned uh, the very beginning, Brett, like, you've got to have the right people in the stores to get the sales. Yeah. What are your tips around building team, building culture, hiring, firing, all the things? Yeah, the... With um, like people are obviously happy if they're working with products they like, and we've got some awesome products which definitely helps with the happiness because people love getting out on a, a skateboard and going for a ride or a scooter. It's a, they're adrenaline sports, and it, 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 they are items that make people feel happy. So <laughs> it does definitely help to have products that people love, and um, you know all our staff. We give them an awesome buy price. So most of our staff own most of the things that we sell, uh, which, yeah, definitely helps. There's, yeah, 100%. definitely. Yeah, we have passion in the team for the product, for sure. Like, I have to agree with that one. Um, so I think when people come into us, like, that's, that is what attracts them to coming into Skate Connection. And then I think, I guess they come in and... Um, you know, thinking like, oh, this is really like a, a really fun industry to be part of. And then you get to see some of the things that happen behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we do have that um, escape team as well. So they get to like, sort of like, see how we do like handle that little up and coming mini Olympians or, you know, like just really <laughs> yeah. passionate people. Um, and I guess, you know, we, I, it's, it's kind of what you've been saying is just putting people into their strengths. And if they have that motivation and they want to, they see the direction of the company and they want to be part of it, sometimes, um, you know, and we always look for these, these extra skills or things that they can bring to it. And a lot of the times we put them in positions that we don't even know exist yet. They're bringing in their own personal experience. They're bringing in um, ideas. And I love when you can just like bounce off of that as well. And I think that's what helps to... Um, keep them engaged and interested. And like I said, where they're in positions that, you know, the people have been with us for a long time 
and they're in positions that we didn't even know existed when we first started. So I can't say like, oh, this person is going to be for this because I don't know it's there yet. So an example of that would be like a social media manager, you know, like that's not something we had eight years ago. Um, another one would be um, managing a skate team. That's not something we had eight years ago. And now we've got like a skate, like sponsored skateboard riders and scooter riders and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, so we now have um, someone who's like a, a skate coach, which is something that we didn't know. So I can't, yeah, it's, it's hard to, um, uh, when you know you have someone good, you'll find a job for them. You'll find the opportunity and yeah. they help to grow your business to be rounded where you're not just a retail. You're able to um, be like a bigger part of the community by doing events. And that was, that was actually an, another big thing. Um, prior to COVID, we were just, uh, you know, starting our events and things like that. And um, that's something we hopefully can pick up, but it creates um, like that really good connection with that community that we we're saying is if we can um, really tap in, and this is what people really want too. Like you really have to listen to what your customer is saying and and um, try to bring the essence of what you're about to them as well. Yeah, beautiful. Um, the I think there's a really big piece there about listening and and know, as again, it's knowing your avatar, knowing how to connect with them. That's not just the ordinary like. You're like, oh, I'm, we're a skate shop. We have a retail store. Oh, wait, we can do events. Like really following the thread of that connection piece to build your tribe beyond just buying product, right? And really looking at that. The other thing is with the, with the team, the amount of businesses that I've seen absolutely flourish because they've given their team members a bit of creative license. Like even a big example, if you look at Google, they allow their team members 20% of their work week to work on a passion project of theirs. And Gmail was the result of somebody's passion project. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just because they wanted to like, seriously. So like, we don't know what we don't know. And if we can just nurture people and help them to, to expand on their strengths. And if they if they truly have the love for the brand and that that the effort that they'll put in and the things that could come out like is exponential. And I see many businesses stunted in their growth because of the ego or the closed-mindedness of the business owners who want everyone to do it their way and everyone to sit in this job description. And I just want you to do that, like just shut up and do your job or <laughs> like, you know, you want to slap the shit out of those people. But <laughs> yeah. it... But some people don't know what they don't know or they get scared to do that as well or they think that, you know, every hour that they pay them because they hired them in a customer service role, well, I need to use them in customer service for every hour that I'm paying them rather than going, hey, well, what else could they bring? How else could we elaborate? What, what even just them asking questions sends us on a different thought path. So looking at what you can do to harness the brain power and the, and the ideas and the creativity of your team is something that I think is severely underutilized in a lot of um, small to medium businesses um, because bigger businesses obviously do it well. They do their own think tanks. They know how to do this stuff, but it's something can your mom and pop stores or your, um, your uh, small to medium that I think is really undervalued and underutilized because they don't know how to do it either. They don't really know how to, 
give the permission without losing the control or they the to put the parameters on it and how to capture that yeah yeah I love that yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome so tell me what is what is one thing that you would love to leave our listeners with is there anything else that you want to tell Belle and I love that you picked Belle because Shell's Bells and I was like is that an accident no, <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. Um, I guess just a couple things. So, you know, just just remember how to choose your your niche niche by asking the questions about the customer. Um, just aim to begin rather than aim to be perfect, and that's and then you can work on it after that. Um, and uh, just understand how to like change direction or pivot or be adaptable and flexible when it's needed mm. that would be my biggest yeah 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 no that's all good yeah i think that was well put yeah she nailed it that's the mic drop moment nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um i guess that's yeah i could, you can still elaborate on each of those but i guess you know i think that's been um the biggest things that we've learned you know in the in the meantime and it's just always like uh, yeah, like the the initial like find your niche and you need to really, um, you know, discover like like who your customer is and just go out there and just do a little bit of research, like ask them specifically, like, you know, what can be some of their problems? What, mm. um, you know, what are their, you know, what are their interests and things like that? And just understand like, um how that that part works but also see what your competition is doing and just see how you can differentiate uh just to make yourself a little bit different into that market or provide a solution to any problem um do you think the pop-up stores really helped you with understanding that because i loved when you said you did the pop-up stores i was like oh my god great market research just great way to test the location get the instant feedback what's working what do they want kind of see what else is happening around you is that was that an a deliberate part of the strategy for getting to know the avatar or was it just to try and get to where does that sit <laughs> yeah that, that was um we looked at the pop-up shops as a marketing tool uh just to spread awareness of our brand because a mm. brand new brand unless you're spending thousands of thousands or millions of dollars on marketing not many people know where you're at so yeah. our, our aim there was to go into a shopping center and if you can um, cover the costs of running that shopping center through your sales, um, then obviously it's mass marketing to that local yeah. area. So, and then it's letting them know about the permanent shop. So at the time when we did our first one, we had the uh, shop open at Ashmore and we did a pop-up almost instantly at Rabina. But every customer that walked past um, our kiosk at Rabina that we talked to, we talked to them about the, the main shop with the range at Ashmore so you'd get them into that shop basically so yeah, the, the whole aim of that was just to create that that customer base basically yeah I love that so the mindset wasn't going there and, and use it to make a huge profit and make sales it was brand awareness so that you could drive yeah. the traffic and and get the name out there yeah because the, the main thing is um, with any business you need a good customer base so the quicker you can build that customer base, the more successful mm. you're going to be basically. And it is retaining your customer. Um, and that's where you're saying like, 
we've got a, a massive age range. If we've got customers from the time they're two years old through to the 80s, they're with us for a long, long period of time. And there's not a lot of businesses that could say that they retain a customer for that sort of long, that sort of length of period, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. You can really map that through and and have them come on that journey with you. That brand, if you like, like even for me, uh, I think I. So I think it must have been five years now that I got my first skateboard that came from Ashmore. And yeah. then it's kind of like that's the that's just where I go. Like I buy my helmet. I bought my nephew's when he was, I think, one and a half. And I'm just in the process of getting Isaac's help to figure out what deck to buy him for his his turning four and getting him lessons and doing it. And that, that will continue to, to scale throughout um, his lifetime and he will start to know the brand. And yeah, the, I think it's a amazing opportunity to be able to have a suite of products that, that carries the whole family through, but also carries them from, from such a young age as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I am so grateful that I got to have you guys on today. And I'm what I'm most grateful for is Belle gets to hear this all the way over in Canada and she can sit down and there's so many tangible tips in there to go. So Belle, one of the key things is you really need to know your avatar, right? Get, get to know your customer, really find your niche, like drill into it, stay in your lane but then once you're in your lane, look at, you know, what are the fringe, what, what are the, what's the sides? What's the sides that you can keep stacking? As long as you're, you know, on that main highway, build it out from there. Think about what you need to do to be agile. Where can you, where can you look for the lessons in the challenges? Because if you can put that right lens on something and go, right, there is a lesson. There's some, there's a blessing in here. If I can look for it, I can find it, then I can pivot and then I can adjust. And that's just going to future-proof the business and make sure that you play to the strengths of your people. Yep. Awesome. Great. Any last any last moments, guys? No, I think we're just like happy to have this conversation with you. So thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks very much for yeah. the invite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. As always, if you feel like there is any tangible advice or tips that either yourself could use or someone you know could use, make sure you tag them and share it so that they can jump on board and learn from the wisdom of some expert business owners and just some fun shit, right? So make sure you get out and share it. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Barrels and Business podcast. If you are ready to build your kick-ass team, you're looking to scale your business, or you just want ways that you can get wet more often, Make sure you head on over and connect with us at barrelsandbusiness.com. Actually, while you're at it, why don't you just hit subscribe wherever you are watching and listening to the podcast right now. I'll see you guys on the next episode.